Good morning. Our scripture for this morning is from the New Testament, the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. There are Bibles in the pew in front of you. If you'd like to follow along with the reading, you'll find the scripture on page 947. That's page 947. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Good morning, church. I love that we get to have God's word read by church members, young and younger. (laughs) Bill Softly is a dear friend, and I'm thankful for him. Thank you for reading God's word this morning. We're in this series here in January uh, called Deeper, Deeper. Uh, We're looking at ways in which every single one of us, whether you don't have a personal relationship, uh, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, uh, whether you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, uh, this is looking at ways to help every one of us grow deeper in our walk with God. And, and the picture there you can see is of, of trees and you see the roots and, and the, and the um, branches and the flowers there. Uh, this is just a beautiful picture of how when we grow deeper into God, when we grow deeper in our walk with God, um, the roots dig down deep and it produces greater fruit, greater strength uh, on the outside. And so we're looking at ways that we can grow deeper so that it can help us flourish on the outside. And we've been talking about growing deeper in prayer right, our communion with God. We've talked about growing deeper in our confession, right, being honest before God about our struggles uh, to allow Him to, to enter into those areas and bring healing. And then we've looked at going deeper into Christ, the love of Christ. Today we look at growing deeper in our commitment to Christ. Deeper in our commitment to Christ. Commitment. Commitment. We all have commitments in our lives, right? It's a a word we use all the time, even if we don't always call it that, right? So if you're married, you made a commitment to your spouse. If you work at a job, you made a commitment uh, to your employer that you would show up, do a particular work, and that they would pay you a particular amount. And if, if you're a student, you might make a commitment to a sports team, right? That you're going to go and practice. You're going to show up to the games. That's a commitment that you make uh, to your teammates, to your, to your coach. Maybe you take music lessons and you make a commitment. I'm going to practice. I'm going I'm to do these lessons. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to show up to, to my lesson ready to, to learn and to grow in this musical instrument. We make commitments all the time, don't we? But not all commitments are created equal, right? They all don't carry the same weight, Right? Sometimes uh, some of us can, uh, struggle with FOMO. You know what that means? Fear of missing out. And so we don't want to commit. Right? We want to hold our options out. Right? What are you doing Friday night? You want to hang out? Maybe. What are you doing? Like, aren't we friends? What does it matter what we're doing? 
Yeah, yeah, let's, let's tentatively say yes to that. And something else comes up. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I, have a, I had a previous commitment, right? Commitment. What are you committed to? What are you committed to? How are your commitments going? Spiritually now, let me just ask you, how is your commitment to Christ? How is your commitment to Christ? We could talk about your job. We could talk about your marriage. You could talk about your roommates. You could talk about all these other relationships, your parents, your children, right? We could talk about your in-laws. Those are fine, right? But today we're talking about how is your commitment to Christ? Are you growing deeper in your commitment to Him? How can you tell? Or maybe you would admit, you know what? It's been a struggle. That I'm in a season right now, maybe it's a few months, maybe it's a few years, maybe it's, maybe it's been even longer, that you would admit, you know what? I'm in, a, I'm in the midst of a season where I have been stagnant in my walk with the Lord. I have been stuck. I felt like I, I, maybe I want to grow, or maybe part of me doesn't even want to grow in my commitment. I don't know what to do. This is, these verses are for all of us. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is is, is a, a beautiful, concise summary of the Christian life. It shows us what commitment to Christ looks like. And it doesn't just show us what to do. It doesn't just tell us what we have to do. It gives us a motivation and a power to do it. Let's look at what commitment, commitment to Christ looks like in these two verses of Romans. Three lessons this morning. Pastor Brady did ten last week, so I would think three is, is pretty good. Just saying. Lesson number one, the essence of your commitment to Christ is being a living sacrifice. The essence, the, 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 what it looks like, what, at the heart of what it looks like to be a Christian is your commitment to Christ, it looks like being a living sacrifice, Paul tells us. Now, Paul has spent 11 chapters in Romans proclaiming and explaining the gospel of Jesus in all of its fullness. I mean, some, some would argue this is the greatest letter uh, laying out the, the gospel like nothing else ever in church history. And he spent 11 chapters just delving into the richness of the gospel, the fullness of it. And now in chapter 12, he makes a shift in the letter from explaining the gospel to applying the gospel to our everyday lives. That's Romans 12 to 16. And to start this section now, this new section in this letter, Paul uses these two verses to describe what it looks like to live in light of the gospel, to give ourselves over to the Lord fully and without reservation. And notice he starts by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, that word is plural, it means brothers and sisters, I appeal to you. Notice he's pleading with them. The word appeal means to plead, to urge. This is, this is so pastoral. He could have said, I'm an apostle. I have authority from God himself. Now do this. But he doesn't. It's gentle yet firm. It's, it's compassionate yet urgent. He says, I appeal to you. The word appeal literally means to come alongside, to encourage, to help to support. 
He says, I'm going to come alongside you to help you, to encourage you, to show you what does it look like to live in light of all that I just said in Romans 1 through 11. What does it look like to live in light of the gospel? He says, I appeal to you. What is his appeal? That by the mercies of God, you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is, your es- this is the essence of commitment to Christ, to present your body as a living sacrifice. Paul uses a lot of temple language here, a lot of Old Testament temple language. Sacrifices. Notice the word sacrifice. The word present is what a, a, in, in the Old Testament, it's what the, a worshiper would do. They were coming to, to lay before an altar their sacrifice at the temple. This was their act of worship. Let me show you how, these, how what he's talking about here kind of relates and is connected to, is like the Old Testament sacrifices, and how it's unlike the Old Testament sacrifices. In the Old Testament, some of the sacrifices that the Israelites would bring were called sin offerings. And sin needs to be punished. God, God showed them that. They understood that. And the animal they would lay on the altar was being sacrificed in place of the worshiper, in place of the person. And so in that sacrifice, the person was seeking forgiveness of sin, a way of, of making themselves right with before God. Here's what you need to understand, first of all. That is not what Paul is referring to here. That is not Christianity. We do not give our lives to God to pay Him back, to seek forgiveness, to make ourselves right with God. How do I know that? How do you know that? Because if you read the entire book of Hebrews in the New Testament, the author lays out masterfully this reality that Jesus is our once and for all sacrifice for sin. We do not pay God back. Jesus has already paid it all. Unless you get that, you're going to hear this message as a do-try-harder, do work, work to earn God's approval. And what, what I'm telling you, what this verse is teaching us, is this has nothing to do with seeking God's forgiveness or approval. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, you already have full forgiveness. You already have His approval. It's been given to you by grace. You don't commit to God in order to get something from God but because of what he's already done for you in Jesus. The second kind of sacrifice in the Old Testament was called a whole burnt offering. This was done by offering the most valuable animal uh, in, in, from your flock, and it, it signified uh, that you would present the best, right? A, 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 a sheep or a goat without spot or wrinkle, right? Something that was blameless, pure, the best of the best. And you would give that uh, to the, on the altar. You would give that to God. Why? It signified that all that you had was at God's disposal. That you gave your best to him to show that all that you have already belongs to him. And this offering was totally consumed. Some, some, some offerings you would give it and, and a part of the animal would go to the priest, right, to help them out. But not this one. The whole burnt offerings were totally consumed. And this represented... Complete consecration, complete devotion to God. Paul's taken that idea and he adds this unique twist. That, and he's saying this. He takes this ancient ritual and says, listen, we are to offer our bodies completely holy to God. And yet this sacrifice that we offer is a living sacrifice. That's a significant word, a living sacrifice. Sacrifice. 
In the Old Testament, you would offer a sacrifice, an animal, and it was one and done. Right? That sacrifice was consumed. It was dead. In the New Testament, the New Covenant era, we offer our bodies, our lives as a living sacrifice every day, every moment. It's continual and it's a deliberate offering yourself to God. It's saying to God, everything that I am, all that I have, belongs to you, God. I relinquish control. Can you see why Paul uses the word sacrifice here? Because there is a death involved in this giving yourself over to God. Christian, are you conscious of the reality that the call to follow Jesus is a call to die to self daily? You're not living the Christian life unless you have put to death the idea that you have a right to live however you choose. Let me say that again. You're not living the Christian life unless you have put to death the idea that you have a right to live however you choose. There is a real death involved, right? To say to God, you have control over my life. You have control over how I spend my time. I don't get to choose that. I don't get to decide, God, you have this much time on Sundays. You have this much time in the evening. But all these times, this is me time. This is my time. No, you don't. There's no me time as a Christian. Yes, there's rest. Yes, there's recreation. But it's not me time. It's all God's time. You don't get to say, I, have con- I want to have control over what I do with my money. God, I give 10% to kind of get you off my back, and then 90% I do whatever I want. And he's like, nope, that's not how it works. You give the 10% as a commitment to say all of it belongs to you, or whatever percentage. You don't get to say, I, I can decide how I treat my spouse, my kids, my parents. No. You get to say to God, I trust you more than I trust myself. I trust your word and your wisdom above all else. A living sacrifice. Notice verse 1, specifically he says, present your what? Bodies. Bodies. This is, this, in, in Paul's time, this would have been radically countercultural because uh, uh, in the Greco-Roman world, most people had platonic thinking, the, 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 the teaching, the philosophy of Plato, which taught that your soul or your spirit is good But your body, the physical part of you that makes you you, that's evil. It was a dualistic way of thinking. The soul, the immaterial is good and and that's what's best. And your material, physical body, that's evil. The slogan of the time was this, soma sema estin in Greek, which means the body is a tomb. That was their slogan. As an aside, even today, there is such a twisted view of our bodies that people are doing all kinds of harmful things, not realizing that it actually can be rooted, traced back to a philosophy that devalues the body. That's not freedom to do whatever you want to your body. It's, the idea, it's actually rooted in the idea that your body doesn't have value. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 19 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? 
Christianity transforms this idea, um, renews this idea that says your body is not evil, it is good. God has redeemed your soul and your body. He wants your body to honor him. We're not just called to give Jesus our hearts. Yes, he deserves to be king over your heart, but he also has the right to be in charge of your body. The presenting of your body to God is your spiritual worship. Worship is the word used there. Or some translations say your reasonable service. Because the idea of serving and worship have the same idea. It's a giving. It's an offering. Worship of God is not merely internal or private. The reason why he, he specifies your body is because the worship of God is expressed in concrete, concrete acts of service with your body. He said, this is what is holy and acceptable to God. The offering of our bodies as a living sacrifice is spiritual worship. In other words, when we understand, when we really understand what God has done for us in Christ, when it sinks in how much we have been loved by God, that he gave himself for us, the only reasonable response is to entrust yourself to him fully. This is your worship. Let me talk about worship for a minute. Worship is your response to whatever you value most. You might want to write that down. Worship is your response to whatever you value most. Our English word worship comes from a very old English word, worth-ship. Worth, the idea of value, worth-ship. Worship is simply ascribing highest value to something. Or someone. So, whatever you value most, whatever brings you the most satisfaction, that is what you worship. Did you know that? I'm not talking about got idols that you set up in your home. I know n- nobody here probably has, you know, not worshiping figures. And we all worship something. We're all wired for worship. I don't care where you are spiritually today. Look at me. You worship something. We are wired to worship. Our hearts can't not worship. And worship is your response to whatever you value most. I like how Louis Giglio puts it in his book, The Air We Breathe. He says this, quote, So how do you know what we worship? It's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your money, and your allegiance. And at the end of that trail, you'll find a throne. And whatever or whoever is on that throne is what's of highest value to you. And on that throne is what you worship. So, who or what is on the throne of your life today? Take some time maybe later and reflect on the trail of your time, your affections, your money, your allegiance, and, and, and follow that trail to, to see what's actually truly sitting on the throne. Or another way of asking this is, what are you living for today? What are you living for? What would your affections point to? What would your money point to? What would your time spent point to? Do you value being honored at work? 
If that's your highest value, I bet you're trying to kill it at work. I bet you're trying to get the highest marks at work. I bet you're, you're spending all kinds of time because you want to be honored. You want to feel appreciated. You want to, you want to excel in your craft. And there's nothing wrong with excelling in your craft. But if that's what you value most, man, that's going to crush you. If you value feeling loved by the people around you, if you value financial security mostly, if you value comfort, if you value being in control, listen, that will drive how you live. What you value most drives what you worship, and what you worship is what you will sacrifice most to attain. You were made to worship, and you were made to worship God. You were made to ascribe ultimate worth to him. And when you do that, it will only make sense to say, God, whatever it takes to grow deeper with you, whatever you want to lead me into and through, whatever you ask me to do, it will be worth it. Because ultimately what I want, God, what I want most is you. Now, maybe you're not a Christian and you're thinking, is this Christianity? Right? Are you trying to sell Christianity? Because if you are, Mark, you're not doing a good job. That's kind of heavy. A living sacrifice, good grief. I, I'll choose freedom instead. Thank you. Right? That's what a lot of people say. Freedom sounds a lot better than what you're offering. Let me just say this. No matter where you are spiritually, you are living for something. And whatever that thing it is, whatever, that, whatever you value most, that is what you are sacrificing for. And whether it's your career or your family or your sexuality or your money, you're not free. It's not, the, 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 off, the option on the table are not come to Jesus and you're like locked in and bound or don't and you're free as a bird. Those aren't the options. You either are a slave or you're, you are committed to this thing over here which isn't actually life, or you're committed to Jesus who gives you true freedom and true life. Those are your two options. If you're living for your career, guess what? You say, that's freedom, I'm free to do it. No, it'll crush you. You're living for that relationship, it'll disappoint you. You're living to get married, you're like, please, please, please. And, pray. and yes, pray to get married if you want to get married. But listen, you're going to get married, and you're going to realize, oh great, they're just as much of a sinner as I am. In fact, secretly, I think they're worse. Christianity simply says, if you're going to give your life to something, if you're going to sacrifice for something, it should be the God who created you and loves you. The God who will never crush you. It's the God who actually gave himself up to be crushed for you, to restore you, and to make you his own. Worship that God. The essence of your commitment to Christ is being a living sacrifice. Lesson number two, your commitment to Christ is a process. The nature of your commitment to Christ is that it's a process. You might say it's a lifelong process. Okay, so what does it look like, Paul? What does it look like to be a living sacrifice? That's verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Commitment to Christ is not a one-time decision. It's a lifelong process. 
And when Paul says, don't be conformed, but be transformed, these are both present tense verbs. Here's what I mean. He's not saying, don't be conformed once, but be transformed one time. He's saying, don't be being conformed, but be being transformed. Do you see? He's saying it's a continual, deliberate, ongoing process, or what theologians call your progressive sanctification. Pull that out with your friends next time. Oh, yeah, I'm just working on my progressive sanctification. (laughs) Notice Paul starts with offering our bodies, and now he moves to our minds. What does it tell us? What does that tell us? It means commitment to Christ includes all that we are. Your body is how your soul lives and acts in this world, right? Your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, they can do nothing except through your body. And Paul's point is that commitment to Christ is meant to be total, inside and outside, body, soul, and mind. It's what Jesus said when he was asked what's the greatest commandment, and he said, he quoted the Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, inside and outside, all that you are. So Paul's talking about the process of how we grow in our commitment. And he does so by contrasting two ways of thinking, which leads to two ways of living. The first one, he says, is you can be conformed to the way of the world, or you can be transformed to the way of God. Conformed. That word conformed means to be shaped outwardly, to take the shape of something else. I almost did this, but, uh, but then I'd have a hard time with transform because I can't illustrate that. I don't, I, can't, I don't have living things that I can transform. But, but think of this, though. If you had aluminum foil, and foil's great, right? But if you put it on whatever you put it on, it will take the shape of that thing, right? It's malleable, and you can shape it on a pot. You can shape it on top of a dish. You can put it on top of anything, and it'll just take the form, take the pattern of that thing. Paul says, don't let your life take the shape of the world's way of thinking. Don't be like aluminum foil. Now look, there's a lot of good in this world, isn't there? Even though we live in a broken world, there's beauty, there's kindness, there's love. But generally, the world's thinking and the world's patterns are opposed to God's will. If that comes across offensive, you need to, re, you need to rethink how, you, how, how, how God has laid out his plan and, and what the world is doing. Generally speaking, the world's thinkings and patterns are opposed to God's will. Why? Because the world, what does the world value now? In our moment in time, the world values most self-determination. What does that mean? It means I determine who I am. The world values power, security, success. If you don't believe me, look at the kind of people that we elect. Look at the kind of people that we look up to. Look at our our, the, the athletes that we look up to, right? We want the best of the best, the most powerful, the most successful. What all those things, we those are people we love. The world is motivated by 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 things like fear and shame. You say, no, the world says, I will accept you the way you are. Oh, really? Is that what you see on social media? That the world will accept you the way you are? No. The world says, you better conform to this or you're done. God says, don't be conformed 
Don't let your life take the shape of the pattern of thinking and living in this broken world. It will never lead to lasting change. It will only crush you. But rather, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is, a, is an incredible word. It's a rich word. It's the Greek word that we get, metamorphosis. It literally is metamorpho. Metamorphosis. It, it means change from one thing to another. Change from the inside out. It's, 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 what, you know, it's what a caterpillar does when it becomes a butterfly. right? It's a tadpole into a frog. It's this, this radical transformation. Not a conforming on the outside, but this deep transformation, this deep change. But just like what we know in, in nature, any metamorphosis is a process. You don't look at a caterpillar and it goes, boom, butterfly. And you're like, whoa, that's amazing. I mean, that would be cool. doesn't happen that way. It's a process. It takes time. The word transform here is in the present passive tense, which means it's something done to us. It's actually what God does in us. We don't, Paul's not saying, go change yourself. No, he's saying, go be changed by God. Go be transformed by God. How? By having our mind renewed. The mind is where we discern, where we appreciate, where we resolve to trust and obey God's will. What does God use to transform our minds? What, what does he, if he, is he just say, go out and figure out how to renew your mind? No, he's already told us the things. You read the New Testament, it's very clear. God uses the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God to transform our minds. The, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God to bring about this change. The Spirit of God living in us, if you're a Christian, it, it, John, Jesus says in John 15, the Spirit leads us into all truth. The Spirit brings conviction of sinful attitudes and desires. The Spirit leads to a change of mind. The Spirit also comes along as our comforter, doesn't He? To sustain us, comfort our weary hearts. Reminds us of the hope of heaven to deal with the struggles of this life. The Word of God Ephesians 6 is the sword of the Spirit. It reveals God's character and God's will. It, the, the, the Word of God also convicts. It also comforts and it guides and it ultimately transforms us. Romans ten seventeen, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ, of God. Literally, God, God gives us deeper faith as we read and study and cherish His Word. And God also uses His people to bring about transformation in our minds and our lives. We're actually going to take that point and blow it up. The whole sermon next week is on community. But let me just say this. Unless you are in regular community with other believers, you cannot live the Christian life. If you read the New Testament, you'll find so much of what God calls us to as Christians involves other people. As Pastor Brady said last week, love requires other people. You can take all the one anotherings of the New Testament, all the things that say love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, and that, but you take away the one another and then you, don't have, you can't even do it. How are you going to obey God when you have no one another to do it with? 
You can't, you can't, you can't. Please don't be fooled. I pray you feel conviction, not guilt, but I pray after today, if you feel like I don't need other people, I'm good at home, I'm good watching. No, I pray you feel the burden. I can't live life alone. I can't do the Christian life alone. That is not Christianity, it's something else. It looks like Christianity, but it's not the real thing. Please, you need the people of God. All right, I'll talk about that next week. What are you feeding your mind on? What's shaping your mindset, your attitudes, your priorities, your attitudes? Is it the Word of God? Are you feeding on this to renew your mind? Are you feeding? Are you letting the Spirit of God work? Are you, are you doing it in community with God's people regularly? Or is cable news what is renewing your mind? Or is talk radio what is renewing your mind? Or is binge-watching Netflix what is renewing your mind? You realize as a pastor, I, we meet with people all the time, and I cannot tell you, you, you are being discipled. You're being discipled by CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. You're being discipled by all the movies, by endless movies and shows. Listen, I watch Netflix. I'm not against Netflix. I'm just saying, got to be careful. You, could, you spend dozens of hours engaging in those activities. You got to realize it's shaping the way, you shaping you in the ways of the world. And you can't think, I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to expect to grow deeper as a Christian. Really? Are you surprised when there's a struggle? Are you surprised when there's a, a sense of like, I'm stuck? What you should expect, if, you're, if, if those things are discipling you, what you should expect is to experience greater fear, greater anger, greater unrest, greater division, greater disunity, because all of those things are part of the world's mindset. On the other hand, if we prioritize regular and significant time, renewing our minds in God's Word, with God's people, through God's Spirit, then those things will shape our thinking and priorities and mindsets. And you know that the fruit of the Spirit is very clear. It's things like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Practically, how can you know your mind is being renewed? Let me share three practical ways. I'm going to get all all up in your business. If if I haven't already, then sorry, it's going to get worse before it gets better. (laughs) How do you know you're growing deeper? In your commitment, how do you know you're being renewed? When something bad happens in your life, when you face a trial, and yes, you find yourself sorrowing, you find yourself wrestling with God, and you know I've talked about lament, you're lamenting before God, you're crying out to God, but when you find yourself in the midst of a trial, yet you still are able to, to say, I value God more. I, I still I still want to present my life to him because I value him more than what this trial is doing to me. That in the midst of my brokenness, I'm going to offer whatever I have to him. And sometimes I feel like it's very little or hardly anything, but I, I trust him more than I trust my understanding of circumstances. When you're, when you're moving in that direction, that's how you know you're deepening your commitment. Christ is allowing you to be a living sacrifice. Another way is to consider how much you value gathering together like this. Do you increasingly see and understand the necessity of gathering with God's people on the Lord's day? 
Yep, I know it's going to get quiet. I know COVID is still going on. I know some of you right now need to be home for very good reasons. But I also know that nationwide, a percentage of people who used to regularly gather and attend church have not been back since, and likely, studies show, likely a large percentage will never come back. This is absolutely heartbreaking for me as a pastor. So let me just ask you, every one of you, you say, well, I'm just here one time, I'm not even sure if I'm going to come back, or, or I've, been, I've been wrestling, I'm at home, I'm trying to figure out when's the right time to come. I don't, listen, I'm talking to every one of you, I'm talking to myself, I'm talking to my own family, I'm talking to every one of us, okay? Listen, hear my heart, I'm a pastor, I'm not here to beat you up, I'm here to love you into Christ, okay? Knowing all the health and safety protocols that we have put in place, knowing that by God's grace, There's been no transmission of COVID at a church service. Knowing the clear command of God not to neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Knowing all the blessings of what it looks like to be able to gather with God's people. What would it take for you to say, faithfully worshiping with my church family is worth the risk? What would it take for you to be able to say, Faithfully worshiping with my church family is worth the risk. Is worship worth the risk? Whatever you think the risk is. Is it essential to, in your mind or is it optional? Let me press into one other area. Are you being a living sacrifice in the way you use your money? There is nothing in life that reveals what you value more than how you spend your money. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, whatever you value, that has your heart. That has captured your heart. Do you use your money Do I use my money? Do we use our money, our resources, our stuff? Do you use your money to show that Christ and not your money is your greatest treasure? That's the question we all need to ask ourselves. Do I use my money to show that Christ and not my money is my greatest treasure? And because the, the, way, the answer to that question, it, it doesn't matter if you make $40,000 or $400,000, you still got to ask yourself the same question. Does your spending and your giving habits reflect a growing commitment to Christ? A growing commitment to Christ, a valuing of God's kingdom and God's priorities even more than your personal comforts. Look, I normally spend a whole sermon talking about giving. I'm just doing one, one quick point. But it's a real one. Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. Half of the things he talked about in the Gospel of Luke have to do with your money. Why? Because he knows that when, when, God, has your, when God has your pocketbook, he has your heart. He knows that when, you've, you, when you're willing to trust him with that, oh, then you're really willing to trust him. It's why we don't talk about money with each other. It's why we don't tell each other how much we make because, we're, because we're, we hold that close to our chest. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but I want you to open up to me. Here's the point. Devote your life to being changed 
as a Christian. Don't settle for the level of growth you have today. Hunger for more of God. Hunger for Him to keep changing you. Recognize that it's a process, not a one-time event. And then finally, the motivation and power for your commitment to Christ is His commitment to you. If you're struggling with the weightiness of being a living sacrifice, let me just say I'm right there with you. I find it so hard at certain areas of my life to, to let God change mindsets and attitudes. I want to be transformed, but I'm still struggling. If that's you, if you're saying, where, where do we get the power to live like this? Where do I get the motivation to keep growing and not just give up, not just be like, oh, I got to coast the rest of the way? Where do we get that? The answer is actually in the beginning of verse 1. Paul tells us it's the gospel as our motivation, the gospel as our power. Look, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. Paul's appeal to live a life of worship is grounded in the mercies of God. The only way to live the Christian life, to experience this kind of metamorphosis, is by remembering and cherishing the mind-blowing mercies of God. Paul has spent 11 chapters Lots of time, lots of ink describing the depth of God's mercies, the good news of Jesus Christ. What is that good news? It's the good news of God sending His Son Jesus to earth in order to pursue sinful rebels like you and I. It's the announcement that Jesus came to show God's mercy to undeserving people and that Jesus didn't just show us who God is fully through His life, he ultimately died in our place as one of us. He took our place. He was our substitute. You see, you and I are called to be a living sacrifice, but that wasn't Jesus' calling. He was called to be a dying sacrifice. On the cross, Jesus was literally crushed for you and I, for your sin for your valuing of other things more than God. He took all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your rebellion. Why did he do it? Why did he give up his life? So that he could save your life. He did it out of pure love, unconditional, unmerited love. And now we can experience forgiveness and freedom from the curse of sin. And through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, He raises us to new life spiritually now. And one day, as we sang about, we'll have a new life bodily in the new heavens and the new earth. And He seals us with His Spirit right now. And He makes us His forever children. And all of this is received not by working hard, not by, by offering anything. It's by simply receiving it as a gift by faith. By faith, we turn from our sin, from whatever we valued, and we say, Jesus, I don't even know fully what this means, but I trust you, I value you as my Savior more than anything else. That's what it means to become a Christian. Have you trusted Christ? Have you made a commitment to Christ to, to begin living the Christian life? Church, this is the mercies of God. Look at his great rescue, Paul says. Look at his salvation. Marvel that you and I, who deserve nothing, have been given everything. And it didn't cost you anything, but it cost him everything. Marvel that he did that for you. 
You know what that means? It means you're his treasure. It means you, you. I don't care where you've been. I don't know what you've done. It means you are his treasure. It means you who are watching and think, I don't, I, you don't know where I've been. No, it means if you've trusted Christ, you are his treasure. And when you finally see him making you his treasure, then he will become your treasure. The mercies of God, his commitment to you is the motivation and power for you to live the Christian life. Christian, let me just ask you as I close. Do you remember when you first believed? You remember how precious Jesus was to you? You remember the freedom from, of guilt and shame, the, the peace you had, the joy that God would, take, would accept you? Do you remember when it sank in? You are his son. You are his daughter. And he'll never let you go. Remember. In light of the mercies of God, I appeal to you, Grace Baptist Church, in light of the stunning mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual worship. It's the only reasonable thing to do. Let's pray. As musicians come and begin to play, let me just ask you to reflect just for a moment. Is there an area of your life, your heart, your body that you've been holding back from God? Is there something that you, and you, you, only you would know what it is, and, I, and you probably already know, as soon as I say it, you probably already know, whatever that first thing is, likely what it is. Is there something in your life, in your journey, in your commitment to Christ, and he's saying, that's what I want. That's the area that you've not yet given fully to me. Listen, you're not just here to hear, you're not just here to listen to good music or hear a sermon. You're here to be transformed. And God wants to do it right now. Right now. From the youngest of us to the oldest of us, we, are, we never stop growing. We never stop transforming. God wants to do his work until he takes you to glory. Give that thing over to him right now. Entrust it to him by faith. Lord, I pray for everyone who's listening, everyone who's wrestling, struggling, faltering. God, we want to give ourselves and we're afraid. We're afraid of what it might mean. We're afraid of what it might cost us. We're afraid of what the implications for our families, for our friends, for, for our finances, for where we live. We're afraid for what it means for our physical bodies. But God, today I pray that your love would overwhelm our fears, would compel us, that the love of Christ compels us because we believe one died for all and therefore all died so that we may no, no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who lived died and rose again. Jesus, bring that kind of hope and freedom that is true hope, true freedom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.